We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Culture Bunker. I'm Andrew Harrison. And I'm Sean Pattenden. Welcome to the first of two end-of-year editions where we look back at the good stuff from the year and, of course, add the tunes to our ever-evolving Culture Bunker playlist. This week we've got two special guests. Queen of Northwest Cosmetia rock pop Jane Weaver <laughs> made one of our favourite records wow. of the year, Flock, and she's here to tell us about her year and to choose some of her favourite records, films and other stuff. And a veteran guest from our misty past. It's journalist, DJ and expert in very expensive men's jumpers. It's Anthony. Teasdale. He'll be joining us to big up some of his favourites too. Plus, because it's Christmas, officially, we've got a Christmas quiz for you. Recovering record shop godfather and author of the brand new official Christmas number one singles book, Michael Mulligan, has put together a fiendish pop quiz. Death to Lad Baby and the X Factor winner, we're talking about proper Christmas hits here. All this and more on a snow-covered culture bunker. December will be magic again. After your couple of weeks off, Andrew, we've missed you on the Geek Desk, so we need some rapid reactions so the listeners can update their spreadsheets. The Eternals. Rubbish. What was that like? Rubbish. Boring, pretentious, no sense of cosmic <laughs> at all. Terrible. Worst, worst Marvel movie ever. Your thoughts on Hawkeye? I actually quite like it. The whole point of Hawkeye is that he's the least interesting, least powerful mm. Avenger. He's the every, everyman, ordinary guy who hasn't got superpowers. So that's why I like it. I know last week you were all saying, this this guy's not a Captain America. But this, <laughs> he's, that's why he's good, you see. That's why I like him. And importantly, the current series of Doctor Who, Andrew. Well, it's largely set in Liverpool, therefore it's the best series of Doctor <laughs> Who there has ever been. And Sontarans invading Liverpool, as long as they just blow up the St John's Centre, I think we can all get, agree that that was a good oh, yeah. deal. It's the best Doctor Who in ages, uh, and she's really pulled it out of the bag for her final series, and Chipnall's pulled it out of the bag for his final few shows. So that's my, that's my geek update. OK, now we've cleared all that up, let's meet our guests. Anthony Teasdale is a DJ about town and editor of Umbrella Ella Ella magazine. Hello, Anthony. Good morning. Well, is it good morning? Yeah, it's quarter past twelve. Yes. Good morning to you all. But they could be listening to it at any time, so it's good something or other. Whatever it is, afternoon, morning or night, I'm here for you. Yeah, everything is fine. Thanks, John. Now, I have the important questions here. What's mm. your usual Christmas shopping routine, Anthony? Are you a last-minute Russian panic? No, no, I'm incredibly organised. Um, mm -hmm. oh, but okay. as I am allergic to clutter, I insist that one, I only buy tokens, and two, I only receive tokens. <laughs> so next time, Ooh. I might, uh, yeah, I know, it's uh, I might cut out the middleman and uh, buy myself a token and then put to Anthony from Mum. <laughs> the, the so meaning. no battered boxes of Lontheric. No, no, because I always hated that, you know, that sort of the, the endless like boxes under the tree. I mean, I'm an only the child. Tad. Yeah. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I'm an only child from a from divorced parents. So it's just like, it's just a faff. I don't need that. <laughs> just give each, give each other money or tokens or, or, <laughs> or, or yeah. crisps. Yeah. Right. Or crisps. Um, do you ever give people records? And is this a thing now for people, now that music is effectively free if you're on a streaming service? No, I don't buy people records because everyone hates the music I like. <laughs> right. So if you like pretentious... You'll be choosing some later. Yeah, you're yeah. going to try don't and persuade listen to us, me. aren't you? I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, if you, I mean, if people like, you know, like, you know, subtle Balearic European pop, then that's great. But most <laughs> people don't. My mum, actually, 30 years ago, 
bought me uh, a copy of St. Etienne's uh, Fox Base Alpha. And that was the last record that was bought for me as a present. And it was, I don't think you can top that. So, no, I'm not going to mm-hmm. do that anymore. But I will give recommendations. Well, by strange coincidence, uh, Anthony introduced me to the music of today's guest years ago. So when he says he, the music he recommends is, is rubbish, he's completely wrong. She just released <laughs> her, her album, The Silver Globe, and I instantly loved it. Jane Weaver was born in Witness, started a Britpop band called Kill Laura when she was at Sixth Form College, where she, she was managed by New Order's father figure, Rob Gretton. After excursions into Folktronica and Lo-Fi DIY, she has blossomed to a brilliant navigator of cosmic inner and outer space with a sound that manages to combine Can, Tangerine Dream, Joni Mitchell and the Radiophonic Workshop and yet still sound entirely like herself. She's here with us today. Hello, Jane. Thanks for coming in. Hello. <laughs> what a lovely introduction. I, I am everybody's hype man. It's nice, thanks for coming to the studio. It's nice to get out, isn't it? Just into the outside world. Yeah. Yes, it is. So this has been a massive year for you. You've, you've been threatening to break through for years and, and it happened this year. Your album Flock became a, a six music staple. Was it weird that it should happen in a year when we couldn't actually get out and enjoy it? Yes, totally. I mean, to release a record anyway when record shops weren't open, one, mm. they were open online, but to not do any gigs or part of a campaign, not to yeah. tour, not to do any radio sessions. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you normally do in conjunction with releasing a record that I couldn't do. So it was a bit like the unknown. But I had put it back slightly in that I, I was kind of maybe waiting for things to get a little bit yeah. better, but they didn't. So I just went, oh, what the heck, you know. Just My experience of the, uh, the the average average jobbing pop star is they say, oh, God, we hate having to do the promo and schlepping around all those things. I bet you don't hate it now. I bet you miss it now. You're <laughs> stuck home with your cat and your cup of tea, pop stars. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I still did a lot of stuff online. That was a bit on top because I had to just fire through all that, you know, like Q&As and online stuff and and Zoom, a lot of Zoom stuff, which I I didn't know what I was doing when I started. Like many people, it's like, what do I do? What should I put behind me? Yes. What makeup should I put on and should I put my glasses on? That kind of thing. But, you know, I'm used to it now. Everybody's used to it, aren't you? Actually, I should imagine your Zoom background is like a vision of the multiverse or something like that, (laughs) infinite fractals. Um, We're going to talk more about the album after a track from it. This is The Revolution of Supervisions, which sounds like a Marvel movie that I'd go and see. There's some heavy Bowie fame action on here. Tell us about this tune. I think that what I had in mind, I was actually listening to Hot Chocolate at the time and uh, listening to... um, is it you sexy thing just the guitar parts and some of that yeah. that stuff and and how it was re- recorded and then you know making sure that I tried to replicate that kind of vibe really mm. it's just a, a mix of stuff Flock album is a, this massive mix of intergalactic synth, dream pop, glam, even funk is in there. I get the impression that it's a brewing in your brain for quite a while, was it? Yeah, it was because I'd probably done quite a lot of more cosmic style mm. records, you know, more synth based stuff and, you know, sort of heavier stuff as well. And I just got to the point where it's like when I'd done modern cosmology, I thought, what I'm going to do next? And I'd done also done a remix album, my own, rework album, of my oh. own tunes as well. So I'd gone deep into this kind of soundscape of stuff. And then I thought, I just want to do some pop songs. Yeah. Just want to do some kind of uplifting, a bunch of songs where when I play them live, it's all bangers. Mm. But when I was writing it, I actually felt quite miserable. <laughs> really? So, so I was in this position where I was I was trying to write myself up constantly. So some of the lyrics are a bit cynical or miserable, but I just went with it. I just thought, I don't care. Just get me through it. It's sonically very uplifting. And a lot of the lyrics are, I, I think, on, on the track we just heard, you look at yourself and see nothing. But hey, the tunes are up. Yeah, exactly. But, you know... I just, I just went with it. I think I read somewhere that it was produced on a, on a complicated diet of bygone Lebanese torch songs, 1980s Russian aerobics records and Australian punk. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of true, really. It sounds like, you know, but I was, but at the time when I was recording, I was watching, just taking inspiration from anywhere. And obviously you watch, you go down this kind of rabbit hole of like YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And one of them was like kind of Russian aerobics music. And it, it sounds exactly <laughs> like you would expect. Well, I don't know what I would expect. expect <laughs> describe to me Russian aerobics music. It's like, you know, any kind of aerobics music from the 80s, mm. but in Russian language. Mm. Very poppy. Very yeah. sort of the version of Western music, you know. But very proletarian as well. Oh, I, I, I think it's all, it's quite uplifting, a lot of yeah. it. It's quite poppy, so. Are you surprised at the kind of, at the, the people that your music reaches? Because you're quite a unique thing in the pop firmaments. What kind of people like Jane Weaver music? Well, I would say when I released The Silver Globe uh, a few years ago, it's like 2014, there was just a lot of a lot of men in the crowd with carrier bags and that was men actually. You guys, so but it's kind of opened up a lot more now. There's mm. a lot. There's a lot more. You know, it's a bit more diverse and, and young and old and people from different backgrounds, which I'm pleased about mm. because I just thought I was. You know, obviously had loads of men following. <laughs> you know, it felt a bit weird, but no, it's, mm. it's good. I mean, you are often sort of mentioned in connection with Stereolab, Delia Derbyshire, Kate Bush, all women or female-led acts. Do women who don't make straightforward pop get lumped together indiscriminately? You know, like, oh, she's like Kate Bush, the old women in rock special syndrome. <laughs> yeah, that pigeonholing probably mm. occurs more with women than with men. And... Yeah, anybody's a little bit edgy or a little bit on the cusp of something else, not just straight down the line pop. Yeah, you're all grouped together. Mm. But I don't mind. I mean, Kate Bush is my first inspiration, so I'm quite happy to say I love Kate Bush in loads and loads of ways, you know. Yeah. You don't often see a, in quotes, new artist who's been like 20 years in the making. You know, you've kind of like, this has been longer development. (laughs) 20 plus years in the making. Do you think it's benefited you that it's taken like a while to get here and you've done different avenues and you've tried different things and maybe got to understand yourself a bit more? I think that through the, you know, being in bands from when I was like 16 and now I'm the the wrong side of 40, then... Or are you the right side of 40, (laughs) as I would call it? Exactly, who cares? But... (laughs) I think that I've been through many situations. I've been in so many different bands. I've been, you know, recorded with loads of different people along the mm. way. And I've sort of developed a way that I work in the studio. And that's where I prefer to be, really. Mm. I love going into the recording studio and developing and experimenting. And, and I've become more confident in that as I've grown older. And, and it's like, a, that's the thing I look forward to with age, how it's yeah. going to change. Or maybe I'll just lose me marbles and <laughs> it'll sound terrible. I don't know. Are you saying the older you get, the more you think, wouldn't it be great to just not go out? Could that possibly uh, be? There's that, but I think there's also that thing where you do take no notice of the world outside once mm. you get in your little zone and and it kind of frees up your mind to be more creative. Um, but yeah, yeah, I would say. This is the uh, this is the classic solo artist reaction of, what did you think of lockdown? I didn't really notice it. It was great. <laughs> I just kept doing what I was doing anyway. I want to ask you, are you the most famous person from Witness, do you think? Because I looked, and apart from Mel C, Alan Bleasdale and a load of rugby players, it's you. <laughs> I'm really flattered. I, did, I, I never knew. I never knew I was even noticed or included. Can we talk about witness for a second? Let's talk about witness. Can I get a witness? So I've got a mate of mine from Hale Wood, which is just... This old. is relevant to all of I our listeners, Hale but Wood. many of them don't actually know where witness is. Right. So witness is a town on the outskirts of Liverpool, and by all rights should be scouts. Mm-hmm. Right, It's about as far out as where me and you are from. And yet, you cross this green, this like... What's it called? There's like a... Was it Hoff Green or Hoff Green or something? Hoff, Hoff, Hoff Green. Green. Hoff Green. And like you go over, you you go over half a mile, and they go from talking like that to <laughs> to what would be termed a a South Lancastrian accent. And I'm weird. In it's weird in the way that north of Liverpool it just spreads up. But there's this defining line. Right. This this well, like the rugby league border. Mm. It's true. It's very. I went to school in Hoff Green, like when I was really little. And that was very, all my mates were very Scouse. Right. And, but I lived in like the north of Widnes. My parents were Scousers, but all my friends there they were like, should we get some sweets? You know, more like a Manchester accent. And then all my mates were, you know, and dressed differently. There's a whole, it was like a massive boundary. 
Tony Wilson always used to talk about the kind of unacknowledged psychedelic currents of the English Northwest. Yes. That yeah. uh, you know that it's 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 the most cosmic place in Britain, as is demonstrated obviously by you and me and Tony. It is the, it is the most uh, <laughs> kind of it's it's an unacknowledged trend around there. Do you think there's truth in that? I think there is, and I remember a few years ago doing a panel with, and I think Stuart McConey was hosting it, and it was me and Aid from Clinic, and we were sort of discussing. Um, why, you know, maybe working out why it mm. was. And I think my husband was saying something had to do with the influx, the, the music, the records that used to come in, mm. you know, from, obviously from the port and the, the, the influx of um, American sort of new music, like psychedelic music. And I think Liverpool and Manchester probably got the a good hit of that. Mm. Maybe it's it's from way back when. I think it's uh, longer. I think it's uh, I think it's, we're a crossroads in the country. We're a sort of like halfway between Ireland, Scotland, North Wales, and London, and with this total melting pot, we're also incredibly Catholic as well. So yeah. my area, is nearly, yeah, where me and Andrew yeah. are from, is nearly fifty percent Catholic, and I just think we're a bit different. And I think we've always been like that. It's a real big sky country. And anyone who should, you know, if you listen to this, you think, oh, do I want to go to Liverpool for the weekend? Go because it's interesting and coastal and a bit weird. And we're soft. We're not like Yorkshire people who can be quite tough and quite grim up north. We're not like that. We're sort of come in, have a cup of tea. We're softies. This is Anthony mm-hmm. painting the northwest of England as if it's the Joshua Tree or something. And the <laughs> south, Charlotte's probably feeling quite excluded bit, now. The south bit of the northwest of England. Yeah. Jane, um, one of your tracks, Silver Chord was sampled by Coldplay on their Ghost Stories album, which surprised me because I don't imagine them as really being so, so, so widely connected. Firstly, did you buy a mansion with the proceeds? Mm. Did you buy the whole no. of Witness? <laughs> and what was it like dealing with them? Does Chris Martin drive a hard bargain? Um, it, it, do, you want, do you want to know the story? Go on, yeah. let's hear the story. So um, apparently it was the keyboard player, the synth guy, who was doing loads of like sound beds for, for the record. And he, that's how he, you know, I became sampled in that. And then my old lawyer actually is the lawyer and he rang me up and he said, uh, are you sitting down? I've got some news. Uh, Coldplay have sampled you. And he's like, uh, yeah, and Chris Martin wants to speak to you and, you know, wants your permission. And and he was like, can you give me permission? I was like, so, he, yeah, Chris Martin rang me yeah. basically. He's like, hi, how are you doing? I felt really bad for him because it was like a week after his divorce had been announced. So I was <laughs> like, right. oh, no, his lawyer's making him ring me, but he just doesn't want to do it. And he was really sweet and he was saying you know, can you, can, would you give us permission? I was like, well, I can't because I don't own the... Really? <laughs> it was my husband's company who owned the 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 master of it. So I was like, oh, you'll have to speak to them about it. But it was lovely. But no, I, I, I think I bought a new tumble dryer with the process. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, oh, a new tumble it's dryer. It's the tumble dryer that Coldplay built. Yeah. That's yeah. a still got it as well. Still going strong. But you could probably sell that on eBay with some kind of Coldplay association. <laughs> yeah. Buy another tumble dryer and still have made money on the yeah, deal. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and I went to see them actually. They invited me to see them in uh, Manchester, and mm. I've never been to such a such a show. It was it was amazing. It was really like surrounded by people who were like punching the air and like really happy. I was like, oh my god, this is like. A really, it was it was yeah. a bit like a Christian rock concert, but I, I really enjoyed it, and it was really, um, you know, a massive spectacle, loads of like lasers and fireworks and all that kind of stuff. Are you thinking you don't do this at gigs? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like sat there trying to be cool, but I was surrounded by like you know the VIP like football players and sort of wags and yeah. all punching the air and having a great time, thinking it was like the best day of their life. How the other half lived? Did, exactly. did you go backstage? I di- well, I didn't realise this is another part of the story that um, my ticket was like this kind of VIP ticket to go and spend time with the band's friend and family. And I just like rocked up at like 8pm going, come on, let's go. And I'd missed all that. But I did go to the after show and a few of Coldplay were there. But I just said hi and walked away. Was it you? Good booze, good good food, and you know any? What's the ride? A good good amount of crisps. Um, I, I can't remember. I think I just had two pints of cider and then. Oh, right, was, okay. Was going That's home. the spirit. <laughs> Let's have another track from Flock before we pile into some of our favourite stuff from 2021. From the album, this track is called "Sunset Dreams," summoning up a beautiful dusk over the River Dee, and yet it's got hammer horror in it. It has a dark side. <laughs> Tell us about this one. 
This was actually a collaboration, the only collaboration on the record with my husband, who's called the Andy Votel, and his background is like hip hop music, and he's a record collector. And uh, he bought this this uh, French record from the eighties at uh, Utrecht Record Fair, played it, and I was kind of writing something and it kind of fit with it and I was like I really want to use that sample and he said yeah I need it for something else I was like oh no <laughs> please and I was like literally begging him I was like I've written a really good song to it so we had to get in touch with the artist we ended up working on the song together and that was that you know so it's it, I suppose it's more somebody said to me it's a bit hip hop and it's not your thing really and I was like yeah but I'm just going with it I, lo- I love you know what, what's happened with it Did you have to say to Andy look let me have it and, and I'll, I will empty Coldplay's tumble I did have to to bargain with him, yes. Good Lord. Let's have a listen. This is Sunset Dreams. And so, to our favourites of the year. Jane, Anthony Teasdale and I will get to choose ours this week. Andrew gets his chance in two weeks' time, so we get first dibs. As regular listeners know, we can't clear all the music we want to, but we do put all of it on the rolling playlist, the very first link in the show notes on your app. We're going to kick off with our favourite albums of the year, and here's a track from Jane's. This is the Berlin-based British-German musician Anika. Not of Japanese boy fame, the other one. This is the title track of her album, Change, Jane Weaver's favourite record of the year. I think we can change. 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 So Jane, tell tell us about uh, Anika and Change. Who is she? What's she all about? And why do you like it? I came across Anika. I don't know whether that's how you say it. Um, A few years ago, uh, the record Exploded View. She's Mm. got a band called Exploded View. And I think it was recorded in Mexico or something. And she's on Invader Records, which is a great label. Mm. That's Jeff Barrow from Portishead, isn't it? Yeah. So anything they release, it kind of, you know, makes me listen, really. But this is her first release in a while. I don't know. It's just got a... all of the production of it and the sounds of it and the way her voice is very it is very Nico-esque it's mm. very sort of spoken word and she's beautiful and it's just kind of like oh, it, I just think it's a great record it's really sensual and I I mean you know Germanic experimental synth pop yeah. with a with a slightly bored lady on it. I, mean, yeah. I, I sent it to, uh, to Tony and Sean. Yeah. I said, it's right up your street. It sounds like Nico front in Stereo Lab. And he replies and said, Stereo Lab sound like Nico front in Stereo Lab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it is, yeah. she's kind of doing a modern iteration of that thing, isn't she? Yeah, I, I guess. But then she's still her own you know, unique person. Mm. I suppose I'm, I'm gutted because her tour's just moved to next year. I was supposed to go and see her next week and I was like, I had my tickets like the moment they came out, <laughs> but she's moved over to next year now. So there's quite an edge to it as well, isn't it? There's uh, one of the lows. I always give my man the last word. I always give him what he deserves. <laughs> Don't forget that little twist of cyanide in his little gift. It's kind of you know, there is, <laughs> it's got the dark side to it. Yeah, I I think she has got that about her. I mean, if you, I've only heard a few things she's done, and and the exploded view record. Mm. That's. That's a bit darker and edgier, I guess. Anthony Teasdale, in a wild shocker, we asked you your favourite record of the year and it turned out to be Jane's own album, you big creep. Ah, <gasps> oh, thank you. So, come on, why? Why did you, I mean, obviously... Because I, I like, like music like this and it's really unsurprising that I like it mm. uh, because I was a big fan of the Silver Globe. And I like it because it's... What would I say? I like spacey cosmic disco rock funded mm-hmm. by excellent ladies. Oh. And, um, but... What did I say about it? I would say I really liked Sunset Dreams and I would uh, I would really recommend that if even if you don't listen to the whole album, listen to that. And I described it as like it felt like a dreamy revenge song. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is that kind of thing, but it's you know, it's fictional, it's not 
Oh, right, okay. A little, a little bit of fact in there. Is there, but... is there any background to that? Because I thought it was interesting. I was like, hmm, who's this? It's really weird you ask me this. My son was asking me yesterday in the car. He was like, are your songs, what are they about? Who are they about? And I was like, they're just a, they're, they're a faction of stuff. They're a mixture of things that have happened and haven't happened and stuff I embellish on or somebody has annoyed me and I'm just going, ha-ha, I'm going to write about that. <laughs> I'm going to get my own back, but you yeah. will never know because it's disguised. Watch out for the new track, <laughs> Annoying Podcaster, coming on the next Shane Weaver album. <laughs> I would also say that it's got a great opener and I think it's really mm. important that an album starts with a great opening track. And it's Hartlow and it's Brill and it comes in slowly and then bangs in and it's like you just know it's going to be a boss record yeah. like from the start. So thank you. I, I remember you running up to me in, in, a, in a, a magazine office in mm. 2014 or wherever it was with going, you've got to listen to this. Silver Globe is right up your streets. How did you discover this one? I think I might. It's either through a an algorithm on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Because all the records I like, they I like, I like Jane's music. <laughs> so, here you go. Uh, but also, I, I I'd also say things like Facebook is really great for this, and I think I hear a lot of great music now through Facebook, rather than like say five years ago when it was all terrible politics. You can really mm. enjoy Facebook in times, and I think I've heard it from that, and just heard your name on the you know on the virtual oh. grapevine and thought. Yeah, great mind and thought. Yeah, Facebook, not just for destroying society. Then no, no, <laughs> it, it has other other uses. It has other uses. Sean Patton, you couldn't decide, and you went for two albums of the year, didn't you? I know, and two's not enough. And I would say props to Jane. I've been listen, re-listening to your um, album all week as well because I love it too. So oh, <laughs> I want to get Thanks. in there too. It's so great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to be the odd one out. So what, one of the ones that you chose is Dry Cleaning and their album New Long Leg. Remind the listeners who they are and why you love them because we talked about this earlier in the year, didn't we? We certainly did. Dry Cleaning are from the coast. They are Florence Shaw, who is the singer, but she's very much a spoken word singer. And they are three blokes at the back who do this fantastic three blokes at the back. Can we use the can we use the word angular? But there is a little bit of angular wire style mm. guitar and backing Definitely. going on there. And what just really, really brings it out and sort of makes it so sharp and focused and funny and unique is Florence Shaw's worldview and the lyrics that she has. Um, the album starts with Scratch Card Lanyard, which I think was at least two people's choices of uh, 2020 because um, the single came out then. They are so funny. You pick up things that you haven't heard, you know, on eight listens. The ninth one will give you something else. And I saw them live. This is the most exciting thing. We might be talking about this later as well. I saw them live only a few days ago and I've been waiting so long. Um, and it was just absolutely fantastic. I just find there's more and more in them. And that's that's when a band is really good, don't you? Think? Yeah, it's, it's, it's also very funny. That's a very, very dry sense of humour. But I it's odd. Least... She's she, mm. she's odd and she plays on it. It's very askew. There's lots of things about... There's half-eaten Kit Kats in a bag all the time and hot dogs <laughs> and stuff like that. There's really wry things. And there are wonderful lines in it that Florence Shaw does say. There is a point where there's a line that's so nihilistic, do everything, feel nothing. And you actually realise it's taken from a Tampax advert. We may have other leg-related woman pop later in the show, mm-hmm. possible spoilers. There's been an almost total absence of four male Herberts with guitars this year. Do you think, Sean, it's a year of triumph for women in rock TM, women in rock special? Oh, you used it. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's what I used it. <laughs> I'm going to say yeah, because lots of music I've liked this year, I realised was female-fronted or has a vast majority of females in the band. It's been really exciting. I also do think, and I'm saying this sincerely, like Smashy and Nicey, it's been an amazing year for music. I think we have been spoilt. Um, and it's just so glorious that people are breaking out of that box and that four skinny white boy template seems to be fairly absent this year. Well, as a no longer skinny white boy, I might have my own uh, <laughs> perspective on that one. Your other choice is, of course, the love of your life and future <laughs> husband, Tyler, the creator, with his album, <laughs> Call Me If You Get Lost. You like him a lot, don't you? I do like him a lot. Um, you know that. There's stickers of him everywhere on all my gadgets. Um, Tyler, the creator, is, of course, uh, one of the members of the enormous rap crew, Odd Future, who were around um, the noughts and, and spawned lots of people like Frank Ocean and Elle Sweatshirt and stuff. Tyler is uh, both mainstream and bizarre. He's He falls in love with boys and girls, and he's going to tell you all about it on the records. The records go from being completely melodic to really quite hard hip-hop and that very... Californian West Coast real 
I mean, you know, he, he mm. is for real. It's, he is telling it you for real, and there's a lot of info on there. But he always records concept albums. So the one before this, Igor, was him in a blonde wig, looking like this sort of bastardized gay Andy Warhol black man who was both a soul si- singer and a hip-hop artist who was going to sort of beat you up in the alley afterwards. I didn't agree with him. Um, and this one is far more soul. It's a lot popular. It's about escaping. There's lots of references to Europe. He plays a preppy boy in this almost and that sort of thing. It's very Gucci. It's very nail varnish, and I just absolutely love and Wilshire, I think, is one of, you know, the, the uh, last track on it uh, is one of my tracks of the year as well. I mean, that was quite quite played on a streaming service when I looked at the unwrapped thing. Well, we're going to stick that on the playlist. So we'll have stuff Wonderful. from all of these albums on our rolling playlist. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Stay bells ring. Are you listening? In the lane, pop hits and annual royalties in perpetuity are glistening. We're delighted to welcome Michael Mulligan, author of the official Christmas number one singles book. It's a must for any Christmas stocking if you like seasonal music, stats, pop history and fun facts. Hello, Michael. How are you? Ho, ho, ho. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show. You have a quiz for us, we believe. But first, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about Christmas number ones. Mm, Please do. You must have thought about this extensively. I'm sure that's an understatement. What makes a Christmas single? Um, it's a bizarre thing. Obviously, there's the usual uh, sleigh bells, holly, jolly, etc., etc. There's the point you touched on earlier that what motivates a musician to make a Christmas single? Um, mm-hmm. Is it royalties? Is it going down in history? Is it they just feel festive? I really don't know. And then there's the reason why did the great British public buy them as well? (laughs) Um, Because when you look at the records that got to number one, and perhaps more pertinently, the records they beat. So, you know, St. Winifred School Choir are knocking Culture Club and Adam and the Ants and the Police Mm. and ABBA and Queen and everyone else into a cocked hat. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And record companies are spending a fortune and a lot of time and skill and effort to market their big hitters for the fourth quarter of the year when all the revenue is there. And the great British public turns around and says, no, I'll have a school choir, thanks very much. (laughs) Yeah. When does the Christmas number one become a thing historically? We have obviously, you know, the early stuff is Frankie Lane, Winifred Atwell, Johnny Ray, yes. But when is it that, you know, it's there's a kudos in having a Christmas number one single? Um, there is, and, and actually the first Christmas number one was also the first number one because mm-hmm. um, the enemy started in Nov- or started the chart in November 52 and now Martino, their first number one, just hung on in there for 12 weeks and became the first Christmas number one as well. So, um, yeah, the, the cheering the, of his day, one yeah. might say. <laughs> <laughs> Yet to make a single with Elton John, but uh, yeah, very much so. So, you know, it, it is from the off, but what, I don't know. I presume at some point in the 70s that the bookies started taking odds on it. That seems to be, right. you know, part of the tradition now. How many new facts and statistics did you unearth while writing this book? And what was the most surprising? Countless, more than I could fit in, um, right. I, and I could bore you senseless with tins, tinsel trivia. <laughs> we want the trivia interesting now. ones. Okay, here we go. Um, Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm-hmm. So Christmas number one twice, mm-hmm. but by dint of it being still number one in the new year, the only record to be number one in four separate years. Right. Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody part two doesn't mention the words Bohemian or Rhapsody in the lyrics of the song but mentions the title of the song that knocked it off number one first time round. Oh, wow. That is a fact. Pause for effect. Mamma Mia by ABBA. Wow. <gasps> oh, Mamma Mia, let me go. Mamma Mia knocked <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody off number one. So you come up with things like that and then you start yeah. adding up... Um, how many number ones did the artists who appeared on Band-Aid have between them? So I, oh, I right. sort of went down those little rabbit holes mm. as well. Mm. And it's quite a lot, isn't it? 
it was 25, I think, and mm. Sting with the police was four of them, and Paul Weller was four of them with the jam oh, as well. So, yeah, yeah. yeah, I like disappearing down those rabbit holes. <laughs> Andrew thinks that TV talent shows ruined the Christmas number one because from pop stars onward, it became the thing. Um, but it was streaming, right? What do you think about this from the 2000s onwards? What happens to the Christmas number one? Let's 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 just take a step back. So you okay. think of the investment in in buying or accessing or procuring a Christmas number one. So right back at the very beginning, you've got to spend two years salary on a gramophone player the size of a wardrobe. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to go to a department store where a snooty man says, can I help you, madam? And you've got to invest in a 78 RPM record to play on this mm-hmm. big gramophone. There's an awful lot of record. And now you just kick back and your voice activated speaker and you say, play me Christmas music. <laughs> there, you know how much emotional emotional investment is there mm. there. Mm. So it's it's come from one extreme to the other, and actually because all of those streams that you never chose in the first place, they're someone else's curated playlist, but they all count to the chart. So actually you're you're passively contributing to the chart rather than actively, and that that sits rather uncomfortably with me. But yes, going back to you know. The, we we started the chart with the Tin Pan Alley, A&R time, when artist and repertoire was a person marrying a singer with a song. And then we went through it all again with the X Factor years. So, you know, it was nothing new. I mean, you've got one of my favourite facts in the book, and, and there are a few, is that households that were lucky enough to own a te- television in the 50s would spend £85 on a really small set. That's the equivalent of £2,400 today. Yeah, and, you know, you can pick up a phone in your supermarket and be listening to music five minutes later. Where's the effort there, the (laughs) kids of today? Describe the phenomenon of lad baby, because there are three Christmas number ones. Am I right? Yeah, you are right. There are three, and and, (laughs) and they did say at the time, that's it, we're done. And then they hinted at a fourth. They have a perfectly formed chart career. So they made three records and mm-hmm. all three went to number one and that is it. And it's for charity as well. And I think that you well, seem to say in the book that makes a difference, that it uh, is more led um, towards yeah. charity donation than so number one. Band-Aid, Do They Know It's Christmas, was actually the first charity number one single mm-hmm. um, in 84. And, and there's been about 50 since. And, you know, we all get the rosy glow. Um, and Christmas is inescapable because department stores and shops that wouldn't normally think of playing music insist on playing music right. to you at yeah. Christmas just to make you part with your money. Um, I don't think it's any coincidence that Wizard, I wish it could be Christmas every day, starts with the sound of a cash register. They knew all about it. Um, yeah. But yes, you know, we all get this rosy glow at Christmas and we think of others. And, mm-hmm. you know, some good has come of it. Lad Baby was Trussell Trust, um, the food yes. banks. And, yes. you know... I wonder how many people said, yes, I'm going to download, stream that track to support Trussell Trust and have never listened to it since. Mm -hmm. You know, that was their investment. It was that moment and they never want to hear it again. Thank you very much. (laughs) Lastly, where does the Christmas single go from here? And we're Christmas number one. This morning they announced the new Ed Sheeran, Elton John collaboration. Mm -hmm. It has everything. So two artists with 19 number ones between them. Uh, it has sleigh bells, it has church bells, it has a children's <laughs> choir. It has a video that features tinsel and snow, celebrities mocking themselves. It makes references to previous Christmas videos. So, yes, there's a sausage roll in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it, but it's charity angle. So, But will the great British public turn around once again and go, no, no, no. Do you know what? We're going to go for some death metal, actually. We've mm. had enough of you. So it, it, it is wonderfully unpredictable. Um, and that is the joy of it. And long may it continue. Right. Michael's book, the official Christmas number one singles book, is out now. And he has prepared for us a quiz about Christmas pop. He's going to ask the questions. And then later in the show, there will be the answers. So get your pens and papers out. <laughs> or at least just make a note in your app on your phone, whatever you like. Michael, take it away with the questions. Question one. The male singer who had the 1956 Christmas number one received a name check in the opening line of the best-selling single of 1982. Who was he and what was that single? Question two. 
which Liverpool act had two singles in the Christmas 1965 top ten, including that year's best-selling single in the UK. Question three. Years before the department store started having an influence on the Christmas chart race, how was John Lewis responsible for the 1980 Christmas number three? Question four. The label of which 70s Christmas hit and perennial festive favourite features a credit that reads Additional Noises, Miss Snob and Class 3C. Question 5. Which Christmas number one artist recorded a duet version of Crocodile Rock with Elton John for inclusion on his 2001 debut album? Question 6. Three different versions of Do They Know It's Christmas have been number one for Band-Aid in 84, Band-Aid 2 in 89 and Band-Aid 20 in 2004. But who sang the opening line on each version? I hope you've been listening carefully there. I've, been, I've got the answers in front of me and I couldn't believe the answers to some of these. So we'll have them at the end of the podcast when Michael will return. Time for the best TV and film of the year as chosen by our panel. Who's gone for what? And why do they keep choosing so many films that aren't in English so the trailers <laughs> sound strange? Here is a taster of the choices of Tony T, Jane Weaver and Sean. Réponds-moi direct. Est-ce que je peux t'appeler n'importe quel jour de la semaine à 4h du matin Oui. Tu peux commencer tout de suite Donc Chaque agent a en moyenne 80 comédiens. On les aide à trouver des rôles, on négocie leur contrat. On en est où de Cécile de France pour le Tarantino Passez-moi le contrat de Guillaume Canet, s'il vous plaît. Voilà, tout de suite. On les accompagne dans la gestion de leur carrière. En échange, on prend 10% de la rémunération. Qui est parti, concrètement Berléon. Qui a frappé l'autre Berléon. Ringo said that he thought we ought to just tell it like it is. We have to do a show at the end of it. From director Peter Jackson. We should do the show in a place we're not allowed to do it. Experience the three-part event. Getting forcibly ejected. Featuring footage that's never been seen. I mean, that is an interesting thought of you all being beaten up. Until now. Okay, you're rolling. One, two, three, four. So we skip the gear. It's okay. It's okay. I fool. Anthony Teasdale, you chose Call My Agent like the massive Europhile elitist that you are. What was so great about this story of Parisian talent agents in the TV and movie game? Because we all watched the hell out of it this year, didn't we? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a despicable person, so it's not surprising that I'd choose something like this. But um, it, 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 I was looking, when, when you sent me the, the questions through, I thought, well, you know, did I go for Squid Game? Which, <laughs> and I just thought, well, that's a bit obvious. So I looked through my diary, because I keep a diary, and I was like, all my January and February is Call My Agent. There's nothing else in my life except Call My Agent. And if you've not watched it, I insist you do. So (laughs) what's so great about it is, so it's about a showbiz Mm -hmm. agency in Paris. They're all slightly schemy. And uh, the the talent agency Ask, which is uh, Agence Samuel Guerre, (laughs) in each episode... You, it, it's sort of self-contained, and they're always based around a French star, which, which is so strange because mostly you've never seen them, and, mm. and yet you know that this person, you know, yeah. is famous in France and was probably in Delicatessen. There are two or three really central characters. There's uh, Andrea, who is um, played by Camille Cotin, and she is a go-getting, hard-nosed agent who makes makes loads of terrible life decisions. It's basically, there are long story arcs about, you know, the agency getting taken over, but mostly it's about the unreasonable desires of famous people. And it's absolutely Mm. hilarious. And it's also a really good picture of what modern France is like. Not, you know, the France, you know, that you did in Tricolore, you know, school life, which is about La Rochelle. Yeah, <laughs> and Monsieur Leclerc. It's 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 Aww. about modern modern day France, which I really like. So, the women call each other Muff or Nana, yeah, and blokes are called Mech 
Do you know this? That, no, like, I didn't know this. It's French for lad. Yeah, French is mech is lad or bloke. Yeah. Muth is like the female equivalent. And then if they see each other, they call each other nana. Ah, right. So I, I like a bit of the old French uh, slang in there yeah. as well, Verlan, as it's called. So, yeah, it's incredibly entertaining. Four series to really get through, and it's a right laugh. It's dead easy. Mm-hmm. And I think my favourite character is uh, Naomi. Have, have, do, do you Naomi, the, yes, yes, Naomi, the, the PA yeah. of uh, the, the, the terrible oh, yeah. self, uh, self-aggrandizing guy who figures himself to be the boss agent. She's yeah. fantastic. But she was great. But she was she was always taking her clothes off, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Was yeah there was. The, <laughs> well, she started as like being you, you think like a typical office busybody, yeah. mm. but then she goes into this incredibly passionate love affair tricks, and yeah. she's amazing. So the conceit, as you say, is that real actors play themselves, and they also mock themselves. Uh, you know, mm. a, a little bit like extras here, but I think better. I want to ask both of you who who was your who was your favourite cameo in this fantastic? I mean, I loved Monica Bellucci because she was she was mocking yeah. her own kind of sex symbol status in a really clever way and showing a sense of humour about herself. And Charlotte Gansberg because she was just so funny. I yeah, had no yeah. idea that she was such a good comic actor. What did you think, Jane? Um, well, I liked Beatrice Dahl. Yeah. Yes, she was good. Yeah, and there's there's another French actress who was taking the mickey out of herself. I can't remember her name. Um, who's oh, Cecile LaFrance is she called yes Yes. Cecile LaFrance that was a good episode she wanted to do a comedy sketch she wanted to become a comedian didn't Mm -hmm. she Yeah. and she was really lame I actually felt it ended too soon I I could have watched another two series do not worry oh Oh, it's coming back because according to London's Wikipedia site (gasps) it's coming back yeah, oh, there's going to be a 90-minute TV special oh, and it. an extra series. We need never leave the house Fantastic. Again. That's it. Something to look forward to. Jane, your choice, because somebody has to, by law, is the Beatles get back. Oh, yeah. Have you done all eight hours? I've done most of it, yeah. So I've kind of like been watching it and then walked away and then come back to it. But I've done most of it, yeah. I've done most of it in now. Yeah. People have seen this and reactions have been quite, in some cases, quite violent. Uh, you know, I can't. Uh, you know, it's Why? so slow moving. Others <laughs> have treated it like a beautiful, warm bath of Beetledom. Oh, what God. was your What was your own take? It's just absolute joy. It's like a gift dumped before Christmas. It's just <laughs> like there you go, everyone, have that. And for somebody like me, who's I mean, I'm not like I don't know the the ins and outs, everything to do with the Beatles. I haven't got loads of books. I haven't read intrinsically about yeah. everything they've done. I'm just a fan. You know, I love Abbey Road. I love going to Abbey Road. I love like anything like that. And I just think it's nice to see them at work in a way that I never expected. It's quite a surprise that the way that they worked. I yeah. never knew really that even though Paul, I anticipated he wrote most of the songs in that way, to actually see it playing out was just amazing. Mm. And the way there were the, all the different characters. And, and another thing, I really love Ringo. I never knew. Yeah. I say I've got a real hot crush on <laughs> well, Ringo. The real surprise has been how this has basically flipped pretty much everybody's opinions about most of the yeah. people in the Beatles. Ringo, we should stop talking about the patience of Joe, but start talking about the patience of Ringo because he could put up with everything. Yoko, who is, as we know, has been subject of exactly. misogynist racist abuse for decades, comes out of it with a lot of dignity yes. and it comes out of it as really um, being the kind of rock that Lennon needs. Yeah, yeah. George comes out of, out of a bit of a dick at parts, I thought. He does, a bit moody. But then again, I, re- I, I did read um, a number of years ago Patty Boyd's mm-hmm. book called Wonderful Today and that's a bit of a sort of insight around this time um, mm. in some of the book and then her ongoing relationship with uh, Eric Clapton. So... I think that's the, I think that's the only kind of Beatlesy book I've kind of read, yeah. um, but it's really interesting. The thing that surprised me was how differently they behave from the way that people, not just musicians and creative people, everybody behaves on television now. People have now I've, I've had so many years of being acculturated by the television they watch that when the camera's on them, they behave differently. And yeah. the Beatles are behaving, although they are at that point the most famous people on the planet. Yeah. And approaching the status of demigods, they just they, they behave more naturally than the average person would if grabbed for a rocks pop at the end of the street. Yeah. And it just feels like a different time, a different way of looking yeah. at the world. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they are really natural. Mm. Maybe they just have got so famous that they just don't care. Mm. You know, maybe they know the value and they just are not bothered about the outside world. They're quite happy within their bubble. I, I, I thought that they really appeared like 
four scousers in an office. And I know that sounds... They, it just reminded me of just four fellas in an office. I know that mm. sounds absolutely mental, yeah. but they were just four blokes in an office. Mm. And and you're getting this vibe. They've worked together for years. They've just turned up for work, which I quite like. Uh, and I think in the 90s, it was cool to say that McCartney was a bit of a beaut. But <laughs> you'll have to translate that to the, oh, uh, the regular listeners. That, that McCartney was a bit naff. Mm. But it's him who's driving it. He's yes. absolutely essential to it. And without him, yes, he, he you know, the, the people think, oh, he's not very cool. I think he's really cool because he's got that massive, he's got a real work ethic. He's an old bit, he's an old school showbiz grafter. Mm. We're going to do this. You know, there's this amazing scene, I think you've probably seen it on YouTube, where he comes up with Get Back in two minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's just playing his bass. And yes. he hasn't got the vocals sorted yeah. yet. And, and, over, and over two minutes, after two minutes, Get Back has been written. Well, so much of it is an exercise in dramatic irony because we know so much that they don't. And Lennon's wandering around and he's going, hang on, he's just making up jealous guy there, but it's got different words. Yeah. <laughs> Pay attention. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I'm a lot sort of... Oh, yeah, you yeah, know, that fit, yeah. I'm a lot cooler on the Beatles than some people. I'm not sort of like live, live, eat, breathe the Beatles, like and certainly the guests we've had on the show. But to me, it was like, this is... This is something that's probably going to be watched in a couple of hundred years' time. It's uh, the equivalent of being able to watch Beethoven or Mozart at work. It's also a bit like watching a stegosaurus. It's like watching a a piece of history before your very eyes. And even if you're not, like, uh, you know, fully bought in personally, if you cut them, they bleed Beatles, it's still actually quite fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I can't understand. There's been a few people on Twitter, I'm quite surprised, who don't really get it who are like musicians or they don't like it and they're just like meh it's not great I'm not in, they're not enjoying watching it I just think how can you not enjoy I know it's a bit arduous getting through it but mm. there's so many amazing joyful moments in it how can you not recognise I'm just like it's brilliant even like you know Mal the uh, the yeah, roadie yeah. and and all that it's just like just seeing the little faces around it's just it's and, and Glenn Johns' outfit Glenn oh, exactly. Johns' mad coat yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, how so can one smiling. band need so much toast so much tea toast. And toast. Tea, tea, tea. tea. Yeah. He, he never gets that. He never gets to do that gig like in the uh, the Roman Amphitheatre. No. He was pushing no. it, does it? No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that guy's like, yeah. Yeah, terrible. Not terrible. doing that laugh. Like, yeah. He's like, I don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean, yeah, for your film of the year, you've chosen another round, the amazing Mads Mikkelsen movie, in which a teacher in midlife crisis decides to medicate with booze. Uh, remind the listeners of what it's about. Why it's so great. It's a film by Thomas Vinterberg. It is about the theory that was proposed by, is it Skarsgård? That we have actually too little alcohol in our bloodstream and mammals need 0.5. I'm not a scientist, as you can tell, whatever it is uh, per (laughs) millilitres, to actually truly function properly. And so a group of very bored and very disillusioned teachers start an experiment to keep their blood alcohol at that level while they are teaching and see if it (laughs) proves good for them, but also good for the students who are clearly very, very bored in the film of the way they're teaching and are actually at the point of complaining with their parents. So we're not going to get through the exams. Your teaching is so bad. Um, And any film that starts with a quote from Kierkegaard is all right with me. It starts, (laughs) what is youth a dream? What is love? The dream's content. And it explores the idea of hedonism, of boredom, of what we are here for. It's, it's, you know, from a very slight idea, there is so much about the human condition and so much about friendship and life. And... And our connection to each other that is just just glorious. And it is one of those films that I think I've watched three times and I could easily watch a few more times at Christmas, which I probably will do, because there's so much to get out of it. And I absolutely adore it. We're coming to the end of the podcast. So before we get to the quiz answers... Let's have some actual individual tunes. Our panel are going to choose the ones that got away, the tracks that should have been bigger, and then their actual big tune of the year. It is, of course, a clearance minefield, so we can't play all of them. Well, in fact, we can only play one of them. But we're going to put all the tracks on the rolling playlist. Let's listen to Jane's one that got away. This is Lema with Disco Pregnancy, open brackets, tonal and rhythmical, close brackets. Chances of 
So, Jane, your one that got away is Lema Disco Pregnancy. This is on Soul Wax's label, Dewey. What is this all about? And have you experienced a disco pregnancy? Uh, yes, I have. I wow. have DJed whilst being heavily pregnant. Nice one. Nice one. Um, so, yeah, this track I came across um, because I was listening to Charlotte Agedery, who's also on Dewey, which mm-hmm. is Soul Wax's label. And then um, I saw this video of this. Actually, you should check it out on YouTube. Um, it's done by... Douglas Hart mm. and Steve Mackey. It's really good. But it's just a tune I, I missed. It's like, how did I do this? So I think mm. she released it last year, but it's this new video's come out yeah. this year. It's incredible. I thank you so much, Jane, for alerting us to some stuff I just hadn't heard. I think this is amazing, this track. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me a bit of like Willpowers. Yeah. Yes, that kind yes, of vibe. Yeah, yeah. Is it I'm Lynn? Definitely. Lynn? I can't remember her name. Mm. The lady from Willpower's. It's yeah. that kind of um, spoken mm. word thing. Top stuff. Tony Teasdale, yours is on a completely different angle. Camelia Jordan with Facile. She's a French Algerian singer. Well, the X Factor couldn't be more different from Disco Pregnancy, or could it? It's not that different. It's it's yeah. uh, it's 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 a really piece a piece of beautiful French pop. Yeah, and it's because uh, she came third on Nouvelle Star, which I think, <laughs> yeah. and it's just incredibly catchy. And my GCSE French lets me know that facile means easy. You're definitely on a French kick today, aren't you? It's been a bit of very, very French year for you. Well, the French always come up with really great things, don't they? Though they're, they're inherently quite cool. I mean, not all of them. But uh, yeah, they just tend to produce really good culture, and, and I, this just—I'm a real sucker for a European language obscure pop record. Well, that tune actually is very much the vibe of uh, "Call My Agent" in pop music form, so very thematically consistent. Sean, you've gone for a track called "Bite" with mm. two Y's by an mm-hmm. artist called Spencer. It's on the album "Are You Down." Tell us about this. Spencer cruelly overlooked, and partly that's a pandemic. I think he's a hip hop artist from New um, from Rochester, New York, but lives in Brooklyn now. It's the blend of I say hip hop, but there's R and B, funk, indie, pop, jazz, soul, melty bits, curious bits. He's on four AD, and suddenly it all makes sense. Some of it's backwards, some of it just seems to just droop and then come back again. I mean, what he does musically, I think, is really exciting, and he. He just hasn't had any traction because of been lacking lacking the tour aspect of promotion of your record. Um, so it's a real shame. I think the record's really, really good. And no one I know has heard it. <laughs> well, they will now when Yay! they go to the, the, the rolling playlist. Finally then, before we finish, it's a song of the year time. And to my <laughs> amazement, Sean has gone for Wet Leg with Shays Long all day on the Shays Long. Uh, we Amazing have, record. Amazing. Everybody <laughs> loves this one. Sean, why is it single of the year? Oh, why isn't it single of the year? Um, It's got more hooks than you can hang a coat on. It's by Wet Leg, who are two women who just have appeared from nowhere. And Bar Bar Tyler, the creator, may be the most amazing humans on the planet. And obviously Jane Weaver and Tony Teasdale and Andrew Harrison. Um, They're just so full of wit and excitement and that silliness. You know when music can just be such a laugh and yet it comes across as the most exciting punky lo-fi thing ever that you've seen in your life i love them the liberating quality of well milled foolishness <laughs> or even we roughly milled <laughs> well from the roughly milled uh, to roughly the extremely well milled yeah because uh teasdale has gone for an abba track from the abba Ooh. album keep an eye on dan Tony Teasdale, what happened to House Bangers? I thought you lived in a 4-4 <laughs> universe. My whole life is House Bangers. Yeah. Um, this came up on my uh, YouTube premium. And uh, I thought, oh, you know, I am quite... A, and I'm, I'm an ABBA fan, but I'm a, a fan of individual records. And it came up and I just thought it was... I thought, that's really, really weird. Mm. But it's also really, really excellent. So it's quite like Visitor's Era, ABBA. It's very synth pop. Very disco-y, I would suggest. Like It's like a 1979 angular disco record. Mm. And best of all, the lyrics are about uh, a woman dropping off her son uh, with dad. Yeah, with her ex-husband. Yeah. And and it sort of, very for personal reasons, that sort of really mm. resonated with me. 
I, I just think it's absolutely brilliant. And the rest of the LP I'm not so keen on, but I think it's a genuinely fantastic record. Yeah, this is the one I, I actually wish that this comeback record had been a bit more like that, a bit yeah. more Summer Night City and a bit less Chikatita. Yes. Uh, because that's, I think, you know, the, 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 the Visitors is the album everybody really likes, isn't yeah. it? Because it's the one that's got all that kind of rich synth aspect to it. I don't know. I mean, do you like this record? I think. Have you heard it? It's brilliant. I've not heard it all. I've heard bits, and I, and, I, and do, do when I knew one? they were releasing a record, I nearly cried because I was going, "Oh my god, it's Ooh. Abba!" Yeah, Th- this track is really—it's a proper banger, and you know, I might have to do a deep house remix of it. Well, the, the thing is, there's a there's a line in the middle where she's talking about having dropped the kid off uh, with yeah. the husband and and banging her head on the steering wheel yeah. in frustration, and she and, and she just goes, "And I bang," and I thought he's going to snip that out and just bang, do it, and bang, I bang, doof, bang, doof, doof. It's got Teasdale written all I over want it. My <laughs> latest boring EP. Yes, Jane. Finally, uh, you get to use the last one. Yours is Lily by Richard Dawson and the Circle. Who who are these guys? So Circle are a Scandinavian. Um, what would they be classed as a psych or a prog band, maybe? Mm-hmm. And they've been going for a while. And then Richard Dawson, who's an amazing cult artist. And they have collaborated together and produced an amazing album, which is it's just been released, like, literally last week. Mm. So... Yeah, you've got to check it out. It's just it's, be- like, it's like a, a roast dinner. It's, it's a big, big, rich thing to eat. <laughs> it's a big roast dinner. No, so, yeah. well, this particular tune is kind of bleak northern kraut rock about death in hospital with friend of the podcast Steve Davis playing snooker in the video. <laughs> yes, how it's, weird is He that? appears to be a supporter of the band. Yeah, Steve has very yeah. good musical taste. Well, we'll stick that one on the playlist and now it's time for those Christmas quiz answers. It's time for the answer to that fiendishly difficult Christmas pop quiz that Michael Mulligan wrote for us. Michael, give us the question and then give us the answer. So our first question asked, who was the male singer who had the Christmas number one in 1956 and then received a name check in the opening line of the best-selling single of 82? And the answer is, poor old Johnny Ray, who sounded sad upon the radio, broke a million hearts in mono. Uh, he was number one with Just Walking in the Rain and then in the opening line of Come on Eileen by Dexy's Midnight Runners. Question two was about which Liverpool act had two singles in the Christmas 1965 top ten, including that year's best-selling single in the UK. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? Come on, best-selling in uh, 1965. It was, of course, the nabob of Nutty Ash, Mr Ken Dodd. So if you thought it was the Beatles, you were wrong. Yeah, go to the back of the classroom. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Ken was at number three and number five in the Christmas top ten that year with The River and Tears. And Tears was the best-selling single of the UK in that year. And the third best-selling single of the 60s. Slightly kind of gives the light to the idea that the 60s was the Beatles, the Beatles, and nothing (laughs) but the Beatles, doesn't it? Ah, no. Uh, Question three asked you, years before the department stores started having an influence on the Christmas chart race, how was John Lewis responsible for the 1980 Christmas number three? Well, John Lewis is the real name of Jonah Louie who spent five weeks at number three in December 80, January 81, with Stop the Cavalry. And you will find him in the kitchen at parties. Oh, you will. We then asked you, the label of which 70s Christmas hit and perennial festive favourite features a credit that reads Additional Noises, Miss Snob and Class 3C? And the answer is, I wish it could be Christmas Every Day by Wizard, the one we mentioned earlier that starts with the sound of the cash register, Roy New. The full credit reads vocal backing by the Swedettes, plus the Stockland Green Bilateral School First Year Choir, additional noises, Miss Snob and Class 3C. And a bonus point, obviously, if you got all of those. <laughs> the Christmas number one artist who recorded a duet version of Crocodile Rock with Elton John for his debut album was, of course, Bob the Builder. <laughs> um, Bob the Builder had the Christmas number one in 2000 with Can We Fix It? And then Bob and Elton collaborated on a version of Crocodile Rock as the closing track for Bob the Builder, the album. And this version was also produced by Gus Dudgeon, the producer who did Elton's original in 1972. He picks them carefully, Elton, doesn't he? He does. He knows a winner when he sees it. Band-Aid we come to now. Three different versions. Band-Aid 1 in 84, Band-Aid 2 in 89 and Band-Aid 20 in 2004. And the opening lines were sung by Paul Young on the original Band-Aid. The lovely Kylie Minogue in uh, 89 for Band-Aid 2 and the equally lovely Chris Martin for Band-Aid 20 in 2004. 
Um, the original band aid, Bob and Midge, had asked David Bowie to sing the opening line, but he wasn't available. But he did get to sing it at Live Aid at Wembley in July 85. I'm just envisaging the listeners sitting there going, it's Christmas time and trying to imagine whose voice it is. Yeah. Well, there's a world outside your window and it's a world of <laughs> dread and fear. We hope you've enjoyed the Christmas quiz. The book, the official Christmas number one's uh, book is out now by Michael Mulligan and uh, it's under a, under a nice Christmas tree near you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of our first Best of 2021 podcast. Part two will be not next week, but the week after, because we've got a rather special edition next week, have we not, Andrew Harrison? Yes, we do. We've got an end of season special on the greatest TV show of the moment, <laughs> Succession, with yeah. a rather special special guest who is also a succession addict. Who will it be? Can you guess? You'll have to be here next week to find out. Also, I'm going to be giving you my suggestions for the Best of 21 also, I'll be giving you my suggestions for the best of 2021 at our last show before Christmas on Saturday the 18th of December. Until then, thanks to top 24 pop star Jane Weaver. What are you looking Woo-hoo. forward to in 2022, Jane? More gigs, please, and festivals and more recording, just more work. Have you more written more. an entire album on lockdown without letting on? No, I haven't, but I, I I need to do another one, I think, soon. So I will get on with that shortly. We Wonderful. shall look out for it. <laughs> and thanks to Anthony Teasdale. What are you looking forward to in 22, Tony? I'm looking to the increasing domination of the crisp market by uh, <laughs> Spanish crisps. Spanish crisps. Right? <laughs> this is the, the Jamon crisp that we see so often. These yeah, days. Um, so the... the, the there's a big brand called Torres and they just started to appear. You know, like Tech House appeared. They're just everywhere now. Spanish crisps are really good. And I, but the, the best ones <laughs> are the plain ones. They're really thin and they're really salty. And my big secret, I don't tell many people this, always put your crisps in the fridge. Oh. Ooh. For that vending machine freshness. Ooh. There you go. I've never heard. Not Peculiar. just musical tips, but crisp tips too. And thank you to Michael Mulligan, wherever he may be. Remember... There are only 18 cancelling days left before Christmas. From me, Andrew, producer Alex and assistant producer Yelena, thanks for listening. The Culture Bunker was written and presented by Andrew Harrison and Sean Pandon. Audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Culture Bunker is a Podmasters production.